Hello, everyone, and welcome back. It's the Full 40 with Chris, Rob, and Willie, part of the Nova Insider Network. Back after three games, we are officially into the Kyle Neptune era, a week deep in, and we got a lot more to talk about than I expected to have to talk about after week one. Um, So let's just recap a little bit here what happened because we got to dive in quickly and get moving on this. And this is going to be a fast moving, high, high energy, high discussion podcast. We've we've been chatting amongst ourselves, a lot of different opinions to share, um, some at competition with one another. So this should be a good one (laughs) podcast wise, Um, even if the last week left you wanting a little bit more from the Villanova Wildcats. Um, So we beat LaSalle by 13 on Monday. Looked like a good start to the whole era. Everything kind of looked status quo, right? Kind of not, nothing too crazy there. We were up 18 late, so we were about to cover. There was some quasi-interesting shit that happened at the end of that game that took it down to 13, but, like, no one walked away from that concerned in the slightest. It was a good, it was a good win, good first win of the season. Then we get to Temple. All three of us on this podcast predicted a loss. Yep. It we was did. we were down 23-11 in the early go and it looked a little too lossy for where we liked it to be, but credit where credit's due, team fought back. Actually was leading by 2 in the last 90 seconds of the game. Coughed up the game, uh, a couple bad possessions um and ended up uh, coming away with a 68-64 loss, which was really a 66-64 loss. Um, that was, you know, there was a foul, weird foul at the end, and a ton out. And, and a the missed whole thing foul call. Missing. Yeah. Um, and then, finally, the game that we didn't think that we even needed to preview or care about or worry about was the Delaware State game. So we didn't even preview it on the last podcast. And... That was the game I actually think did the most damage to the Villanova fan psyche. Um, down three at half to a team that we were expected to win by 30 plus um, and ended up did sealing a deal, had a better second half and came away with a 60 to 50, um, Oof, 60 to 50 win over a team that is projected to be in the top, in the bottom 10% of college basketball. <laughs> of all of college basketball, not yeah, of their of conference. All of it. This is a team that went 2-25 and 25 last year. They're worse than Georgetown, and somehow we only but scored 60 points. They are 361 out of 363 on yeah. Ken <laughs> Now It would have I been one of the worst think, losses. I do think from watching them that they'll end up a little better than that, but that's not much of a prediction here Yeah, because you're dealing with literally the very bottom end. Um, Real rough. So, so that's 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 what happened, um, and it was an interesting week. We learned a little bit, um, have a lot to say about it. So, I think we dive right into that, um, and let's talk. Let's talk broadly. Like, what do we see in the first game? We said, "What's the starting lineup going to be?" On this podcast, we predicted. Um, maybe a Brizzy starting as a starting point guard. We got the other four, right? We like everyone, Daniels, Dixon, Slater, weren't a surprise. Longino was a question mark late because he was recovering from an injury, but we got that one right. And we learned on the day of the first game of the season, all of a sudden Villanova Twitter was like, I think Arch is going to start. Like that was kind of creeping into the Twitter sphere. Kyle Neptune doesn't release a lineup until like five minutes before the game starts. And we find out Chris Archidiacono is the starting point guard for the Villanova Wildcats at the beginning of the 22-23 campaign. Um, All in all, I don't think the first game bothered anybody because we saw a lot of uh, deep rotation usage, etc. And then we learned in the second game that the plan for using Chris Archidiacono seemed to be a little bit more robust than I think uh, was 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 on Villanova fans' minds. He plays 36 minutes against Temple and follows that up with another 30-minute 
game versus Delaware State. So he is like, clearly by Kyle Neptune's eyes, I don't know if this is the plan long term, but he's by Kyle Neptune's guy, the starting point guard, like the starting point guard. And I think we got to start there is, is that the right choice? Absolutely not. I mean, I think the answer to that is pretty clear. Look, we try not we try not to hate on on people too much, but I think we also need to call out when there are deficiencies. And I think the Delaware's look, the Temple game kind of ended the way we thought it was going to be, but I think you started to see in the Temple game the impact of having a lack of a real clear playmaker on the floor, somebody who's going to guide the offense who's going to create shots, who's going to create opportunities for the rest of the team. We know Arch isn't going to do that. That was never going to be his role. That was never going to be the expectation. But then when I think when it came to game number three against Delaware State, and you started to see this again against a weaker team, and the fact that we couldn't generate anything, and we'll get into the missed open looks, that aside, I think it just becomes abundantly clear that Arch as the, you know, as the starting point card, look, he can start in my mind. We've always talked about what does it matter, start versus not start. It doesn't matter. It's just how many minutes you get at the end of the day. That whatever floor that you're raising by having him in the game because he knows the defense, because he knows the switching, because he knows the program, I think ultimately doesn't make up for what you lose with having him being on the floor offensively and call it what it is. Like he's not a playmaker. He's not a creator and he actually doesn't shoot a lot too. And we started to see it already when you've got, I, my bias is a little bit more towards Armstrong. If I'm picking between Armstrong and Brizzy, I'm going to lean towards Armstrong. You start to see a little bit more of the aggression. You start to see a little bit more of the firm ball control. Armstrong's just a, a little quicker. He's a little smoother with the ball. He's creating some more opportunities. And while he may not have that that locked in, I don't know if locked in defensive acumen is, is what I was going to say, but he may not bring you quite as much defensively right now. I think in a couple games, what he's going to give you offensively is going to far exceed what you're seeing with Arch on the floor right away. So in my mind already, you started to see the transition in the Delaware State game and full kudos to Kyle by saying, hey, we need a change. I'm going to roll some new people out, which is something we never saw in the J right era. You just didn't see it, right? So let's appreciate what Kyle did there. He recognized what wasn't working. He made a change. I don't think it's the last change that we're going to see. I think you're going to see that change continue to come in, and I want to see more of Armstrong. I'm liking what I'm seeing already. I'm on the Armstrong train. I'm definitely on the housing train. We'll probably get to that in a little bit more. Um, I'm very excited about, about Let, Brandon housing, but we'll, we'll pause on that. Before Willie jumps in, I just want to make one comment. Villanova Twitter was like, I don't know why Neptune is playing Arch. That makes me question his judgment. Whatever. Let's just be clear on one thing here. <laughs> like, Kyle Neptune made the exact same decision that Jay Wright would have made. The yeah, totally. only other coach in Division I college basketball that would have made Chris Archie Diacono the point guard of this Villanova Wildcats team is Jay Wright. Yeah. Like so, yeah. so, so let's just be clear. Yeah, it's very I, I don't know if the results would be all that much different. I think we would blow out Delaware State. I don't think we would have beaten Temple if Jay Wright was the coach. But I just want to put that out there because there's already some consternation around the Kyle Neptune decision making. Yeah, and I just want to so. point that out that the decision making, from what I can see, is the exact same as Jay Wright was in the last couple of years at Villanova. Yeah, but, it, it, it might have been worse because he wouldn't have switched the rotation in Delaware State. He would just be like, fuck it, figure it out. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And that was actually that was actually the thing I thought the most um, when we were talking about this is in the first game by Chris when Kyle released that Chris was starting, what it told me was that Kyle's staying true to the tenets of Villanova basketball. Which in the first game I was like, okay, good to know. He's not completely rocking the boat, which maybe we should rock the boat a little bit. <laughs> but I saw that in the first game, Chris starting cool. We saw the temple game, that happened. Delaware State is where I think everything kind of comes to the crystallize and where all the issues show up. I'm on Ken Palm right now. Our top six most used lineups include Chris Archidiakin. Our offense and our start and the number one being our starting lineup and the number two being still our starting lineup, but kind of switching where you think Chris and Jordan Longino are lined up. 
our offense has been stagnant in the half court. That kind of comes from in a lot of different things. It comes from Caleb and Eric. Honestly, I feel it like not completely working in sync yet. I think they're still trying to figure out their pick and roll, mm-hmm. their pick and pop mm-hmm. situation. I think yep. Eric's still figuring out where, where to be on the floor with Caleb. Uh, as com- or Caleb running the offense as compared to Colin. Yep. Um, it comes from Brandon being a little bit um, hesitant. I would I would say yeah, this year totally he's, he's been fine, but it's not been the alpha dog that we're looking for, which we'll talk about alpha dogs a little bit later. And then it comes from Jordan. Um, Jordan's actually doing fine, but then it comes it comes down to Chris. And when we have Chris Archdiakono in, we are playing four on five on offense. It's yeah. just that simple. If Chris was a better playmaker or a better shooter or a little bit more of an athlete, I don't think we're having this conversation. No, Chris, is, Chris has made 14 threes in his Villanova career. That's over 59 games. If his, his, he's functionally a wing who we use as a point guard who can't defend wings <laughs> and can't defend point guards. Right. We're, <laughs> we're hamstringing ourselves by playing Chris 30 minutes a game. At no point am I saying Chris should not play. I understand his value to the team and the value he brings to the to the program and the value that he actually has on the floor and helping us understand from a schematic standpoint and from a floor standpoint where we need to be. I don't doubt that at all. I doubt it should be happening for 32 minutes a game. Yeah. yeah. Someone on Twitter, and it's actually a UConn fan, um, watched our game on replay last night, and their feedback on the game was, and I really actually like this, and sometimes the best feedback that you get is from someone who's not a fan, right? Like, See, his feedback was Villanova is playing like a team that knows everything that it should be doing and yet can't figure out how to do it. And I really like that because that is a Chris, I, I hate to say it, but it's a Chris Archidiacono led team is that Chris Archidiacono knows everything to do. This is not hate on Chris Archidiacono at all. He was a one, two star recruit coming out of high school. He was never given any offer that was anything close to a camp to to a school like Villanova. And the fact that he has put forth the effort, the intensity, the study, the time to be, to be, to be someone who can actually earn minutes in this Villanova program is an enormous testament to Chris Archidiakono's um, intelligence, uh, attitude, guile, whatever it may be. Like it's a, it's a testament to all of that. There's nothing to be said for the fact that like, that's something to be said for the fact that like, okay, but maybe he shouldn't just be like the guy getting 30 plus minutes yeah. a game yeah. on, on a top tier, candidly recent years, NBA factory, like Villanova high caliber championship. We were Blue in the Blood final team. four six months ago. Right. Yeah. right. Seven months ago. Like, right. So, so yeah, to an extent, though, I do get the commentary on the coaching decision. I just think that Kyle Neptune is in a weird position, right? Like, I think he's in a, I think he's fundamentally like in a challenging position with this point guard position in particular, because he has a situation in which Chris Archidiacono schematically understands everything, right? And a switching defense is is a is a defense that it's like. This the the point. But 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 I, I agree I disagree with your premise. But finish your point. The switching defense is predicated on everybody knowing where to go at every point in time. So like so like the switches need to be called out, you need to communicate, you need to go to a certain guy, you need to know when that switch needs to happen, you need to know when to not switch. There's a lot of complications to it. The freshmen clearly don't understand it. You brought up Hausen earlier. When Hausen was in the game, we went particularly to his own. So, like, point being there is that he's got a situation like that versus a situation with Armstrong and Brizzy who get lost in that defensive scheme sometimes. I'm not saying this is the situation. Hold on. Let me finish. I'm not saying. Just wrap it up. Just wrap it up. Let's go. Let's go. (laughs) I'm not saying this is the situation that this is the decision that he should be making. I'm saying that he's in a tough position because he's trying to weigh the benefit, the cost and the benefits of each player. And he really does not have a perfect answer because the perfect answer has a torn Achilles right now. So, so, so right now 
the the solution that he has come up with is I'm going to go with the more experienced guy who understands what we do. I don't agree with that decision. I'm over that decision. I think we need to be moving towards Mark Armstrong as the quote unquote starting point guard who sees the most minutes because because if he makes a mistake, he is the most quick. He is the most athletic to recover. Right. Like he is the ability on offense. So we talked about the cost side and the defensive side. The benefit to him on the offensive side is you've seen it in a couple games. The guy is faster than everybody on the court. Every single player on the court, he is faster than. He gets to the cup at will. He gets he can he can break defenders down. He's got a good smooth handle. Um, he's shown the ability to drive, look out, kick, etc. I like that ability for him to be able to do that. So my take is I think Kyle Neptune has to weigh his cost benefit differently because what we have seen, agreeing with everyone else here, is that on the offensive side, the cost is so great to what we do uh, on offense. We are a we are a philosophically based offense in that we we drive, kick, pass, look for the open shooter, drive, kick, pass, rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat until we find the opportunity to break the defense down fully and get the best possible look. That's why we are a high efficient offense. We play slow, but we're methodical and we get a really good shot. Always on the always top rated on shot quality. But the problem with Chris Archidiacono, as everyone has alluded to before, is he doesn't do that. And he often passes up on the good shot that he ultimately gets because the defense leads him open or misses it because he's not in rhythm. So it is a problem for our offensive tempo when you have a guy who forces us to play slow and on top of that is inefficient. So you can't have that situation. We're getting a little technical here, but you cannot have that situation. Mark Armstrong is going to speed things up a little bit, which will at the very least give us more at-bats to score points because this team struggles to score points. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the your underlying premise of like Kyle Neptune has a, has a tough decision on his hand. He doesn't. He did until Delaware, until the second half of the Temple game and until Delaware State happened. The answer is quite clear. The problem is offense. The problem is not defense. Defense, we're doing okay. But it's quite clear we have no playmakers. And if we continue to play a lineup that has no playmakers and can't generate offense, well, guess what? We're going to lose to Michigan State. We're going to go like one and two in the PK 90, 85, 100. I can't even keep track of years, whatever it is anymore. We're going to lose a couple games, a couple more games in the Big Five. And we're going to be looking back on the season and say, what the hell happened? Well, the problem is offense. So you solve for offense right now, and you come with, you deal with whatever deficiencies that you have on defense and chalk it up to a learning experience. Because at the end of the day, if Kyle Neptune is playing the long game, which he should be playing the long game, both for this season and beyond this season, it's going to pay way more dividends to develop Mark Armstrong more quickly because then when you have Justin Moore come back, when you have Cam Whitmore come back, you're going to have somebody who's comfortable, who can slide in, who can facilitate an offense this year and next year, especially after Justin leaves. And what if Justin doesn't come back? What if Justin's delayed a little? What if Justin's delayed another two months for whatever reason? What, what, if, if, Justin, back and, what if Justin re-injures himself? What if he re-injures himself? And then what? You you spend another month having like Archer on the point? Like, no. You put Mark Armstrong in. Mark Armstrong is your point guard starting next game. 100% bar none. That's it. The answer is quite simple. Well, I think what you I could wanted. argue that you could you could argue Brizzy, which I think Willie might be. <laughs> I'll, I'll argue Brizzy. I have no fight against Armstrong at all. I definitely see a case for Brizzy. Uh, but what I wanted to talk about real quick was when we look back at – I want to give Kyle some credit, honestly. When we look back at the last game in the Delaware State, what he did – and you alluded to this, Rob – what he did that Jay maybe never did was something was going wrong and he changed it. Yeah. And he went to the bench. He realized we needed a spark. And he brought in Hausen. To the point of defense, what he did is he didn't he, – he, he went to his zone. When Hausen was in, he went to his zone. When Armstrong was in, it was like sometimes it was zone, sometimes it was man-to-man. But he realized we needed a spark. The first play Hausen comes in is a play designed for Hausen to shoot. His first career college shot, mind you. That is the confidence that Kyle has in Hausen and subsequently Armstrong and Brizzy. And to design a play for him, he had not shot the ball in college yet. Like, let's be very clear. I think he may have touched the ball four times in his college career. His first shot is a two 
Got to get, get some feet, uh, get some court awareness as he should have been behind the three-point line, but whatever. is a two. And he nails it. Hawson was a shot of energy for us. Armstrong was a shot of energy for us. I want to give Kyle just a little bit of credit because if we look at the minutes, if we look at the minutes, maybe it was the game flow. Maybe he's going to prove me wrong on Michigan State and Arch is going to pay 40 minutes. How many minutes do you think Arch played yesterday? It was, I thought I looked at it. I thought it was still up there, 25, 30 plus minutes. It was 23. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So, it's, so it cut it down. Yeah. It, 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 it cut down. It was 23 minutes. There was the point of the offense defense for Hazen and Arch, which I think we were, we were talking about where I was like, I don't know if we're making that really big of a di- difference defensively, but yeah. that's fine. Chris, to the point, to Chris's point, Chris knows where to be defensively. Yeah. Pausing, it probably knows where to be as well, but it's a little bit more confused. So it's an extra half step. All this to say, Kyle's, I think, starting to figure it out. I don't know if he goes Armstrong first, who I would probably go with, but I think he probably goes Brizzy because offensively, I am, I'm imagining at the very least, and I'm, this is a little bit of conjecture, Brizzy, who has played for a year under Colin, will know how to get us into sets a little bit better as to where I feel Armstrong will ha- usually defers a little bit to Caleb to get us into the set or tries to do it himself, which we've seen him do plenty of times where he crosses over, he reassesses, he'll cross back over. And then he creates space because he's lightning quick. So, so there's quick. no issue with that at all. I've Armstrong has not done anything in any game thus far that I've been like, that's a mistake. He's been extremely smart. I do feel that if we're going to keep with what I've just seen Villanova culture be over the last 20 years of me watching Villanova basketball, I feel like the natural move will be to go to Brizzy, but the right move is probably to go to Armstrong. And that's not to say to not play Brizzy. I think Brizzy's going to be one hell of a player and also should be on the court. Whichever one is, whichever other one is sixth, right? Whichever, yeah, whichever one's working. And I think that's what Kyle really needs to do. I honestly think this this situation is until Justin goes back, you go point guard by committee. You give these young players a chance to take it from you uh, or to take the role from Arch. And to their, to their credit and Kyle's, Kyle gave them the floor to do that. And the difference was Jay typically doesn't do, give them the floor to do that or they make one mistake and they're gone. Yeah. Kyle gave them the floor. And the good thing that we've seen from Pausen, from Armstrong, and what I think we're going to see from Brizzy is they took it. It yeah, wasn't 100%. They, didn't, they didn't, they weren't shy, they didn't make mistakes. Hazen came on and took that from Arch. Yeah. Otherwise, if Hazen misses that first shot and then maybe gets a dumb foul, Arch is probably back in and playing another seven minutes. Hazen yeah. took that time and Armstrong took that time and they earned it and deserved it. What does that mean long term for us? I we have to see, we have to keep like learning, but I'm proud of Kyle for the decision making he made to let them figure this out. Granted, we were playing Delaware State, so you have a little bit more margin for error, but apparently not that much because we were down three and a half. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they, we'll, we'll get into it a little bit on the awards, but I I loved your point, Willie. Like those freshmen took it. I mean, honestly, looking at our starting lineup, they looked like guys who's like, yeah, I'm kind of going through the motions. Like I know what I'm supposed to do. Man, we had some of the lineups out there where we had we had three of the freshmen out there, and they were playing like this was the chance of their lifetime because it was. Yeah. And they were given a shot and they were like, fuck, like this I is a our, great opportunity yeah. for me. And they 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 came out like guns blazing. Like housing shot, the yeah. energy they brought. I was just like, yes, let's go. I'm, I'm all for it. Yeah. I think our best lineup that happened, just real quick, Chris, was the lineup of, and I'm gonna mess up one player up, but we had Armstrong, we had Hawson, we had Trey Patterson, we had Caleb, and we had someone else on the floor. It was the fastest we'd moved all year. It may have been Slater was on the floor. Uh, we was the fastest we had moved all year. Trey was whipping the ball around. We had probably our the most pure moments of drive, kick, pass, 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 open shooter with those lineups there. Yeah. There's an energy to the, the youth of this team that is going to push the vets because I think the vets are yes. all trying to, for three years, not mind you, for three years, they've had Colin and Jermaine who have known what to, like we can give, People can say what they used one about Jermaine and how he started and everything like this. By the end of the year, in the tournament, Jermaine was our most outstanding player. Yeah. For three years, we knew we could turn the ball over to either one of those two, and the right play was going to be made. 
And if we if they made it or if they missed it, it didn't matter. And nine yeah. nine out of a hundred times, they were making the right play and they were hitting it. I, so I think our three starters, three vets, are still figuring it out. Until that point, until they figure it out, let the young pups run. They don't know better. They don't care. And they're fearless. And I think we have to lean into it. We that. need the fearless. We need yeah. fearless. Because yeah, honestly, our fearless. starting lineup was playing like they were playing kind of scared because they, they didn't have that that comfort blanket. They didn't yeah. have Gillespie. They didn't have Samuels that they could fall back on. It's like, it's on you guys. And, and honestly, like we, we've kept saying, like they're missing that playmaker piece. So like those three pieces and Dixon, Slater, and, and Caleb are really great pieces. Yeah. But without the playmaker there, without the energy, it's kind of like, okay, they're 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 trying to figure it out too. So let the youngins run. Let's go. Yeah, I I think what we're seeing here is pre Whitmore, pre Moore back is we have a less efficient team that we're used to. And I I alluded this to, I alluded to this earlier. When you have a less efficient team, you need to generate more possessions. One other note that I saw on defense, by the way, to to the credit of the younger guys is we got more steals when those guys were in. We didn't steal the ball this season. We didn't steal the ball. With, like we're, not a, we're not like a steal-the-ball type of team. It's like 2018. Right. right, yeah, right. And we had at least three or four steals. We didn't create offense off of all of them, but we had three or four steals off of them, just swiping the ball, uh, getting their hands in the middle of a passing lane, whatever it may be. Um, in the second half of that game that I distinctly remember with those young guys coming in. So look, yeah, you're going to miss some switches, right? This is the point I was getting to earlier. You're going to miss some switches. I get the point that Kyle was in. I agree with Willie that like Kyle had the balls to do something different um, in, in a situation that dire, that we really needed it because candidly, you could not lose that game. Lose that game and the season is over, right? Like, like I hate to say that so bluntly, but like the season's over. And I don't mean that from the perspective of, oh my God, it's only the third game of the season, blah, blah, blah. We have, but guess what? Like metrics matter, right? Like yeah. we're going to get into this a little oh, bit later yeah. in the podcast, but like, that would have been one of the worst losses of all time. Like, it would have been one of the worst losses yeah. of all time. It's a loss that it would loss that would drag all of our metrics down dramatically. And in order to recover from that, you need to go on a massive winning streak against really good teams. Like that would be the worst loss. Like you put that on our resume at the end of the season and it might drag you straight up fucking out of the tournament, right? Like, like it's that bad. So, so you cannot lose a game like that. Not with the limited opportunities that we're going to have later in the season when the, when, when the guys who are going to come in and, and, and be difference makers on the team come back. So we have to generate more possessions. We have to play faster. I also think that that will help a guy like a Slater. We've all made the comments Slater's a little too tentative. That's been a comment on Villanova Twitter, etc. We can talk about him first. Yeah, he's been fine. He hasn't done anything terrible, um, but he's been too tentative. And what Brandon Slater needs, he's an athleticism guy. He needs the ball to be moving. He needs to get out and transition. He needs to be, he needs holes open so he can slash to the hoop. This is the kind of offense that he needs to be operating in in order to maximize his efficacy. His efficacy is, is kind of damaged when he's playing in a 25 second half court set. Like he just doesn't have the opportunity in a set defensive play to use his athleticism to create, to create situations. That's just not his, his, not, his game is not a creator necessarily unless we're in transition. And especially when that offense is four on five and it's mired down in the half court where it's slower, there's not the, as much space. You'll see it. Slater will get the ball to the top of the key and he crosses over, he crosses over, he drives, he gets walled off, he pulls back and he doesn't know where to go. If we're butt cut moving the ball around and then Slater gets it and he's in an advantage position, he's able to drive, take one step and go to the basket. He's throwing it down on people. I think there's uh I think our perfect world of this team is we have the ability at full at full health, but even right now to do this, where in a half court situation, we have we have an a an a outstanding half court score in Eric Dixon. Eric Dixon gets the ball on the block, and I am confident it is either a foul or a bucket. In the half court, we can go to him. In the half court, when we're fully healthy, we're gonna be able to go to Justin Moore. We know that. And we can also go to Caleb. We know and that. we can also again we can also go to Caleb, who has yeah. shown a lot of growth and getting to the basket, using his strength. Caleb's got 
tree trunks for legs. He's super strong. Been able to do that. I think what we're seeing is, or what we hopefully will be able to see, is the ability that off a miss, especially assuming we insert Armstrong into the starting lineup, off a miss, we're able to run a little bit more. Just I don't need to see us 100 pace, 100 possessions a game, but able to run a little bit more. Off a make, fine. Take your time, half court, get Dixon involved, think about it. But if Dixon's grabbing a rebound or if Slater's grabbing a rebound, it's a push to the timeline. And then Armstrong, Brizzy, Hazen, whoever's on the floor, Longino, push it a little bit more and pick up the tempo because that's going to unlock Slater. And if that unlocks Slater and his ability to drive to the lane, who's going to be, who's going to pop open at the end? It's going to be Caleb Daniels. And we saw that with the three ball that happened when it was 34-30. Slater got into the lane, uh, off an advantage situation, one of the few times he did that, kicked, got to the lane, was about to go up, kicked it to a wide open Daniels at the top of the key, nothing but net. That's what we need to see more of. And I think, like, I, we know how we need to unlock it. I like what the UConn fans said. We know what we need to do. We're just not executing it. Yeah. Well, so there's a couple of things about this, like, broadly, like, narrative-wise. Like, we talked about this on the podcast. We said, look, we got to get these guys healthy. Um, we think they're going to take a loss of Temple. You know, we, but, like, you know, once we get Whitmore back, once we get more back, that's when the season starts. Like, you know, that's when the season starts in earnest. I don't think I conceptualized in kind of making that comment kind of the the position that a Temple loss would put us into um, going into playing, having to play Michigan State and having to play in the PK-85 versus Iowa State and potentially UNC and, and whoever else, right? Like that is, I don't, and what I mean by that is we've got some tough games that are coming pretty soon on the calendar. And then we don't have a lot of great games in December before we start Big East Conference play. And so as a result, our backs are like, I'm not panicking about this season and this direction of the team yet because of the injury situation and the fact that these young guys got to get better. But I am a little bit concerned and I'm starting to move my hand towards a panic button, if you will. Because you lose this Michigan State game, right? Let's just say we lose this game. I'm not sure we do, but let's just say we lose this Michigan State game, right? Like you then all of a sudden are like two and two and you don't have a lot of opportunities for great wins before Big East play starts. And then if it starts to go a little bit like we're 500 or whatever, that really puts a lot of pressure on the Big East portion of our schedule where we have to be not perfect, but we have to be like top three, four in the Big East to earn a bid to the NCAA tournament. And so all of a sudden the narrative and discussion changes where like, yeah, like you get by and you make it through this out of conference season. And let's just say you pick off a win versus Michigan State or you lose to Michigan State, but beat Iowa State and go two and one in the PK 85. And then you beat St. Joe's and Penn at home and you beat Oklahoma and all of a sudden you're like, all right, we picked up like three, four losses, but like, you know, we're, now we got our, now we're healthy and we're steaming towards it. And then all of a sudden we could like raise our seed line in the big East play like way high to like a top four or five seed and really make, and, and really get into a threatening position and do damage against the NCAA tournament when we're fully healthy. When you, when you don't get that, all of a sudden, it's like, oh, crap, we need to play our way into the tournament. And that's a different conversation. Yeah, I think we're also, I feel like we were not necessarily over, some of us maybe, over-optimistic over on, on Justin's timeline. But I think I didn't fully appreciate now after seeing these couple games, even when Justin comes back, let's say Justin comes back early December, like for whatever reason, he's healthy in like two weeks. He's like ready to go. Assuming he's going to be back full strength, like ready to go inserted into that lineup and you get the Justin Moore of old is, is probably like a bit of a fool's errand there. So to the same point, like even if Mark Armstrong continues to develop, even if that team starts to coalesce around a different lineup and we start to figure out our offense, we're not going to get like a one-to-one Justin Moore from last year plugging in. It's going to take weeks for him to get back to game pace I'm sure conditioning-wise, he's out of shape, and I'm sure he's doing running and stuff on the side, but that's going to take a lot of time. So to your point, like 
we're going to get into the Big East schedule. Big East schedule is going to be tough. We're going to pick up some losses along the way. So it's going to have to coalesce at some point. We're going to have to be doing a lot of work. And, and probably realistically, we're going to have to be kind of coming from behind this year, which is a little bit of a weird feeling. Yeah, we have a UConn game at Excel Center on December like 28th. <laughs> so there's no no rest for the weary here when yeah. we get into the conference play, right? Like we have we're lucky that most of our schedule is backloaded. Um but but there are some games early for some pitfalls. So it's not like we're going to go 20 and 0 in conference play. I, and, I was know. I was going to say we haven't shown a whole lot against Delaware State and Temple to give us comfort over the cupcakes in the Big East. So yeah, can't I, expect us to steamroll anybody at this point. Like Georgetown maybe is the yeah. with how we're playing right now. Like yeah, I'm sure as hell don't want to see UConn. Um, no, absolutely I, not. I sneaky think St. John's is going to be really good this year. If the wheels don't fall off, we'd have 44 turnovers versus St. John's as currently where we're going. So we got some work to do for Big East play. Um, thankfully, St. John's is our first game of the year. Oh, yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, that's not <laughs> uh, Thankfully, we're not there yet. Thankfully, you know, there's time for Mark to become a little bit more. Oh, there's time for Justin and Cam to get healthy. Time for Mark to get more comfortable. So overall, I think. I mean, we're just going to see. I, I don't know. I think overall, I, I think, Chris, what, what you said is a good point. I don't think I really thought through the domino effect of losing to Temple. Temple, I was able to look at that vacuum. It's like, yeah, we're going to lose. Because that's what, what that, college basketball teams do. College yeah. basketball teams do shit like losing the Temple and then beating a better team on the road. Like, it's just weird. College yeah. basketball is just like that. And I hope we beat Michigan State on the road, uh, who's down one to Kentucky right now. Just kind of screen uh, box score watching that because if they win, I feel pretty good. Maybe us, maybe us going out, going in and having some fun. If Michigan State loses, there's no chance in hell we're going into like, Breslin and winning. Yeah, yeah. They they played Gonzaga so tight the other day, so it's like yeah, it's like it's an unranked team. You look at it, you're like, oh, they're they're unranked, but it's not it's not a pushover unranked team. No, These guys are Michigan compete. State Spartans. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Look, I, I, again, I'm just going to reiterate the point. I'm not panicking, but I am just saying that we now have to, we have a sense of urgency here early on in the season that I didn't necessarily expect to have. And I think that has more to do with the Delaware State performance, right? Like totally. expecting to lose to Temple, whatever, fine. But you like, actually, if you look at Ken Palm, and Ken Palm is at least some of the metric-based, um, performance-based metrics that Ken Palm uses are baked into the net. Like, we fell like 10 spots in the net by beating Delaware State by 10 yesterday. Because Ken Palm has Delaware State so bad, and to score only 60 points against them, yeah, only letting them score 50 points is good, but to score 60 points against them, is was such a bad look on the offensive side that that it dragged our Ken Palm rating way back. And what that means is that a two and one Villanova team with a quad three win versus LaSalle, a quad four win versus Delaware State, and a quad two loss at Temple, which is I'm just using Ken Palm to like basically triangulate where these teams are going to be, like. That ain't a good resume, right? So, like, so like you start to think about okay, where the resume wins. Okay, you go into Michigan State and you beat Michigan State on Friday, and we're having a much different conversation yep. on the next podcast because it takes a ton of pressure off the PK 85. You go one and two there, even, and it's still like, okay, fine. Like you picked up a win a win at the Breslin Center, and all of a sudden you're like, okay, loss at Temple's absolved completely. You pick up one or two losses in a neutral core MTE no big deal, go out and win your December out of conference slate and you're fine, no harm, no foul, right? Yep. Like, so you got that. But but again, you lose to Michigan State, go two and two, then we have a lot of pressure on the Iowa State game. And who's to say that St. Joe's, when we come back to camp, when we come back to Philadelphia, doesn't smell blood in the water for the first time in a long time and where we go to Hagen Arena. So yeah. look, there's a number of different, pathways and i feel like there's like you know there's nothing different alternate universes to the sacred timeline here for your mcu fans that we can like 
that we can like see morphing out and, and playing out. But I think what we need to do right now, focus on the basketball that needs to be played. And I think that's why you need to get a guy like Armstrong in because we don't know what the more situation is going to be like, and you need to develop a team without him. Yeah. So I guess we, we always talk about like expectation setting and, and what that looks like. What do we think for, for the fan base? Where should we be thinking about expectations at this point? Cause in my mind, based on what we're saying, the expectation I I'm thinking is this is probably going to be a, a rocky next month as one, we figure out our lineup. Two, we insert Cam Whitmore into that, which introduces more variability into that lineup. And three, Justin Moore ideally starts to come back and we start to develop some identity as a team because introducing every one of those players creates a whole new identity and a whole new set of problems as well as benefits along the way. So as we get people back, it becomes more challenging. And I guess if I'm sitting here from a fan perspective and based on what we said, I say, okay, next month sounds like, we could pick up a few losses and we could go into January thinking we've got a lot of work to do. And then I start thinking like, are we questioning the, the, the tournament appearance at this point? Like, is that, is that where our, our fan base's head should be? Cause I guess that's a little bit where, where I am as like, maybe it could go that south. I don't think we're quite there yet, but like it's more we, on the table than it was a week and a half ago in my mind. I think we will know after PK 85. Where if because I it's crossed my mind, I don't think we're there yet. Um, yeah. I'd like to imagine with a healthy Justin and Cam, but what, like like we've said, all this does is let's say our next five games will be Michigan State, Iowa State. Let's say we beat Iowa State. Let's say we are we are able to get past them. It's North Carolina, and then it's one of Oregon, Alabama, Michigan State again, or UConn, and then we have Oklahoma. The next five games are versus all versus top. 60 Ken Palm teams, I believe, potentially, besides if we were to lose to Iowa State and UNC were to lose or beat Portland, we would then face Portland, who I don't know what they are in Ken Palm, uh, probably about 120 something. I'll look it up right now, 126. Um, so outside of Portland, every potential team we're going to face on our next six games is a top 60 Ken Palm team. In the terrible scenario where we drop all of them or, heck, even only win one of them, that's one resume quality win in the non-conference, a bunch of losses of, re high, of high quality, and then we're in a situation where you're looking at we have to – we have it makes our Big East – our Big East conference play that much more important, our margins yeah. that much more thin, and we're implementing – cam during that time in theory implementing justin and the margin for error becomes so much more smaller i'm not at the place of adjusting tournament expectations as a whole but if we were to as currently constructed and as currently as things feel i think you this is like a nine seed team it as things are right now if mark comes in and is what we think he is. If Cam comes in and is what we think he is, if Justin's coming back and is normal, then think the picture starts to get a little bit more clear. But as of right now, we have to adjust those expectations. Now, granted, we are uh, November 15th, not March 10th, 15th. So yeah. a lot of time for a lot of things to change. A lot of time. Look, that's a, and that's what I think my preseason expectations were going off of, which is that like we have a ton of time. Like We'll develop. And we'll find a way to end the tournament. And then all of a sudden, we're going to be the out that no one wants to fucking play in March because here's a team with a resume that kind of is deserving of like a six seed. And all of a sudden, it's like, yeah, here's a six seed with, oh, by the way, Justin Moore, who's the best player in the Big East when healthy, and, and Cam Whitmore, who's a top 10 lottery pick prospect, and all the other three guys who we already know, making them way better because all of a sudden, when Caleb Daniels and Eric Dixon are your third and fourth best options, I, I, and Brandon Slade is your fifth best option on the team. All of a sudden, it's a totally different. It's, it's a different conversation. Yeah. yeah. So, so, like, that's where I kind of had this team kind of going. And then I was like, well, this team's sneaky threat to get to Houston because yeah. it's like, well, then all of a sudden you put the you put the talent on the floor in that situation, and it's like, well, fuck, I'll go up against anybody with that talent. I, literally anybody in the country. But the problem is, we gotta 
get there. Yeah. <laughs> and and the argument around, like, this is the argument that you know, in two months, three months, let me just be clear. The argument that Villanova fans are going to be, and myself included, are going to be pulling out of their ass when talking to bracketologists are you have to discount the Temple loss because it wasn't with Whitmore and Moore. Right. Like that's going to be the argument that that's the card that we have to play. And that's a card that the NCAA has shown that they're willing to respect, provided that your baseline without them is. I, I, I was going to say, it's, it's one thing to discount the Temple loss. It's another thing to then make that argument and discount four or five subsequent losses. Correct. I think I think that's I think that's where it I guess my big takeaway from all this is. We don't know where this is going to shake out over the next four or five games. We're going to have a much better idea. Correct of where this team is more so than a lot of our earlier, you know, in years past earlier season expectations where we always say, eh, you know, see how things play out. Don't put too much stock in it. I do think we'll, we'll know a lot about this team actually in the next four or five games, even without Cam and Justin. Yeah. And as it relates to going into like the tournament with the committee, I think um, to Chris, your point, I think what makes what's most important, what's going to be important to them is how, how are you playing? You know? So if we're if when Justin and Cam come in, we're oh this is a three seed level team, but they have a seven seeds resume. We're probably looking at like a five. If Cam, if Cam, when Justin and Cam come in and they're playing and we play up to our full fullest potential, if there's hiccups and Justin and Cam are playing at like uh, with Justin and Cam we're playing at like a seven seed level and we have a seven seeds resume, we're gonna be a seven seed. You know, so it's all dependent on yeah how we look like once we're fully healthy and being able to be that best team possible. And all we're saying, and we're just to reiterate what we're saying is if we lose a lot here, our margin for error could become so much thinner and big East play. And I know that sounds simple, but it is what the committee has shown that they will do like Michigan state is their next opponent. Just take them. They went 15 and 13, like two years ago. Right. Like, and everyone was like, they're not going to make the tournament. And, everyone, and then the NCAA said, well, it's Tom Izzo, it's Michigan State, we're going to put them in the first four. Right? Like, so so you could see a path where that becomes a thing that we have to do. It's like, it's like I mean, whatever. UCLA so, went to the final four for the first four, so. Yeah. Find me up. Point being is that is that this team needs to play with a little bit of urgency. I, I'm not on the panic button. I am just saying that the urgency needs to be there because the next four or five games that we play are going to be have a massive impact. After Oklahoma, play Penn, play Boston College, play St. Joe's. Like, okay, let's just say, let's just say for argument's sake, we pick up three wins there. And all of a sudden you can see a path to like nine and four. And it's like you don't feel terrible coming out of the out of conference at like nine and four or nine and three, whatever, or eight and four, whatever the numbers shake out to be, however many games that is, right? Like all of a sudden, okay, that's fine. Like, but then again, but if you're like six and six, right? Like then you're in a position where like, okay, you have to, have to go, go 14 and six in the Big East conference, right? Like must go that, get 14, get 14 wins to run your, to run your um, record to 20 wins. Right, like so, it's a lot of pressure on that team. So that's all we're saying. We're not saying press the panic button, but just like just know that there's urgency there. Yeah. Um, do you want Do you want to talk about awards for this week? Yeah. So the pass the fucking ball award of the week. I think we've kind of already. Uh, yeah. Uh, I think we've already handed that one out. Um, yeah. Um, so we don't need to we don't need to really hammer that point home any more than it is. Um, the Shaq Fit Man play of the week um, was Slater had a rim rocker. Uh, yeah. Was it versus it was Temple? Temple, yeah. yeah. Um, so to me, that was the only play yeah. of any real Shaq Fit Man play consequence. Um, and then the Alpha Dog of the week, we could we can we can have a debate on this. I think I'm going to go with. Dixon, Caleb, probably if we'd recorded this podcast before the Delaware State game, I probably would have given it to Caleb because he went 24 and 10 sure. on like six of seven shooting versus LaSalle. And that was pretty, that was pretty sweet. Um, and was also big against uh, Temple. But uh, Eric Dixon was better in all three games combined. And in addition to that, 
I really got to give credit to Dixon for the fact that he got two fouls early, was like rendered useless in that game, and then was super, super economical and really well-managed and thoughtful about how he played the rest of his minutes because he had to get put back in in the, in the latter part of that first half, first temple, had to, or we were going to let the game run away from us. And he really did manage himself really well and still made an impact on the offensive end. Yeah. Yeah, I completely I'm, agree. Um, I'm going to nope. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead, Wally. Dixon's definitely my uh, Shaq Bit man play of the, or man of the week. Um, I th- or Alpha Dog of the week, um, all over the place. Um, my Alpha Dog of the week. I think to Chris to your point. I just I want to reiterate the game changed when the Temple game, even though we still lost, the game changed when Dixon came in, and he didn't get in foul trouble. And I said this on the pod, I think last or not the last uh, our last episode that this is Dixon's team until Justin and Cam came back, and that game solidified that for me. That this is Dixon's team, and that as far as we as until Justin and Cam come back, our this our ceiling, our floor is all going to be set by Dixon and him going to the bench versus Temple, and we saw what we were at without him. That's the story right there. I'm going no. Alpha dog of the week for me. I don't think anyone on this team exhibited the characteristics of an alpha dog, which is to take over, dominate, and show that killer instinct. I saw no killer instinct on this team. I saw Dixon picking up pieces. I saw Caleb beating up on some weak opponents and not even getting to W. You know, I love these guys, but no alpha dogs this week. If I had to pick somebody, it's Brendan Housen because Brendan Housen came in just no fear ball touches his hands. It goes up and goes in and starts to change the complexion of the Delaware state game. But like for the record defense and was Hey man, sick. Hey man, <laughs> you're the one who's, who's talking about the win. It's a win. It's a win regardless. And it's all on Brendan Housen's shoulders. He gets the full credit there, but for the record, no alpha dogs for me. Brendan Housen gets a half alpha dog. How about that? If we're looking at the analytics of it, Brendan Housen has the best alpha dog per 36 in the country right now. <laughs> there we go. There we go. Um, it's going to flash up on scroller on ESPN. Brendan look, Housen, man, we get the best we, alpha dog per four, four 36. Time to we dead. can and probably should debate what alpha dog means, but like it's a weekly award. Like you're supposed to fucking give a award out. It's like a weekly award. We, we fucking made it up. I don't have to give it out. <laughs> yeah, I'm just going to check in here. There were several weeks last week where you guys didn't award it to anybody. So, yeah, like, Chris is moving the goalposts. Yeah, Chris is just, like, making it up whatever he wants to do. It's ridiculous. Yeah, he's saying it's, like, it's like law to make it. Oh, oh, you want to make it up? Well, I can wait. make it up, too. Time out. I need to pause all of you because you're all wrong about who the alpha dog of the week is. You're, you're 100% wrong. Because oh. there is a Villanova basketball team. That is currently ranked. Uh, and there oh, is a Villanova basketball oh, this team is true. This is true. that this is a good defeated point. a top 25 opponent in the first week of play. The club team Villanova is doing basketball well. basketball team, Brian, shush, I'm talking. <laughs> <laughs> that Villanova basketball team is the Villanova women's basketball team. The Villanova Wildcats on the women's side defeated Princeton. They're currently ranked. I believe they're number 24. And Maddie Segris went off for like 32 points in that game. It was incredible. Absolutely incredible. She's unstoppable. So I would like to raise Maddie Segris as Alpha Dog of the Week for Um, the Full 40 podcast. And I I think she's gotten previous Alpha Dogs as well. She has. She has, but I I co-signed that. That's a good point by Rachel. That's a really good point by Rachel. She's the Alpha Dog of all Alpha Dogs. She is the best. Pound for pound, she's the best basketball player on campus. Can we ask Maddie to sub in for the men I mean, in the upcoming weeks? Like, is that something threes. we could request? Maddie's so good. She is so good. She's ridiculously good. It's and I would trade Maddie. Like, if I could switch a player out, I would easily bump Chris Archidiacono. Wow. Hot takes. Hot takes. And, and Maddie can be on the men. Yeah, the takes wow. go. The takes Maybe are flying. Too far. That is Ooh. something that someone has said. The takes are flying faster. That oh, is something man. someone had said. I'm 100% oh, sober. I would like our audience to just know that. 
I'm not Tuesday sure that makes night. it better. <laughs> <sighs> but the but look, no, uh, that's an important point, and Rachel, I'm glad you keep us honest there. Uh, Maddie Seavers was awesome. Villanova, uh, Villanova women's basketball team is crushing um, and ranked in the top 25. And with Paige Beckers out for UConn this year, UConn is still really good, still really, really good. Um, AZ but, Fudd's no joke. But yeah, AZ Fudd's no joke. Nika like their whole team is so good. But 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 they they could be gotten again. So 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 maybe maybe okay. Maddie can pull some more magic out of her hat before she finishes her Villanova career. She is, by the way, steaming towards being one of the highest Villanova points scorer of all time. Shelly Penn, her father, better be shaking it in her boots because she's coming for her. Oh, yeah. 100%. And then also, uh, just want to give a shout out to Lucy Olsen, who is a dog. Just such a good point card. I'm really excited to watch her grow at Villanova. Yeah. Very cool. Good job. All, right. all right. So, preview. What do we make of all of that? <laughs> <laughs> and and what do we and what what do we got coming up? We have Michigan State who is in overtime with Kentucky as Great. we speak. Um, so, so this game's back and forth. Uh, as I see it right now, Michigan uh, Kentucky's up by two with like four minutes left or so. Uh, but uh, neither here nor there. We got Michigan State on tap uh, coming up, and they this is a team as Rob alluded to earlier that is. Good. They're not ranked. They lose to Gonzaga on the on the on the carrier. Um, by what? By one. By by one, and they might lose to Kentucky here in this Champions Classic. And yet, they've looked really good in the process of both losses. And so, well, this might not be a loss. We'll see. Um, but they've looked really good along the way. So, what what do we got here? Um, from from Michigan State. Yeah, so Michigan State's nine deep, um, pretty much. I wouldn't say there's a outstanding wing scorer per se, um, unless you believe in Joey Hauser, which I refuse to believe in. Now I say this, he's going to drop forty on. Does Does he have social security benefits at this he's, point? He's got been around forever. <laughs> he's wow. he's still kicking. Um, Wild. But so Hauser is great. Um, they have a point guard, AJ Hogard, who I think is inefficient, but is aggressive and smart and strong. Um, can really dish the ball. I think he averaged nearly five assists last year. Um, can't shoot a three pointer to save his life, but they're they deep. guys who can shoot the three pointer, so he doesn't. Yes, they are, it's like they Kyle also, Lauer. <laughs> they're, they're deep. They're smart. Um, they're big. Um, they have another point guard. His name's Tyson Walker. He was at Northeastern. He's he's got to be like he has to be like five years in the NCAA at this point. Another really smart guard. So they have smart guards. They have size. They're they're old. I don't think they're. I think yeah. There's a bunch of seniors, a couple sophomores, um, and then they have some size at the wing as well. I don't think it's absurdly dynamic, but there's still size there. I think this is a team we match up with well in theory. But this team is also going to execute absurdly well. Um, yeah, so I don't know. They're nine deep. We're going to see how it goes. Technically, we're nine deep as well. So I'm excited for this. I like the matchup across the board. Um, but I think Kyle's doing a great job. But coaching advantage clearly goes to Michigan State. Um, yeah. And I think even if they lose today, um, well, even if they win, but win or lose, Tom's going to have them ready, um, and they're at home. I think it's their first – it's not their home opener, but it's like their first high-level major at home. So it's going to be – they're going to be ready. Yeah. Yeah, I don't feel good about this one. Uh, I don't have a whole lot else to add aside just periods like at home against Izzo, against what seems to be a pretty competitive Michigan State team. They're going to be good. They're ranked, what do we say, like 20 – third or something like that in Ken Palm. So it's definitely a competitive team. And while I made the Joey Hauser quip because he used to play for Marquette for some of our, our newer listeners who may not have remembered, he's actually younger than Caleb Daniels. Yeah, you said that. And I was like, hasn't Caleb been in school for yeah, like six yeah. years? And Slater's only like a, a month or two older, so or a month or two younger. So we got a couple oldies as well. 
Yeah. This is an interesting one. Before the season, I was predicting a Temple loss and a Michigan State win because college basketball. Right? Like that was like my that was kind of my reasoning and I felt really good about it after losing the Temple close. I was like, yeah, we're we're trending towards a a a, a win at Michigan State. Um but the but this is a situation now after that Delaware State game where there's not a ton of confidence, um, which makes me concerned that we could be walking into a buzzsaw for a team that probably has earned some confidence even without the wins um, in Michigan State. And so needing a win, they have to win this game versus us, right? Like So, like, so like you look at, like, whose back is more against the wall and um, – to oh, it's still tight, man. I'm still I'm like watching this game to try and figure out what the hell is going to happen with this Kentucky Michigan State kid. If they lose to if they lose to Kentucky, Michigan State is like like back up against the wall. Must beat us at home, right? So like fans crazy. We're lacking confidence. They still feel good because they feel like they played well even in losses and like like we could get run over. Like they beat Kentucky, have the high coming off of that. And whatever, and you know, maybe an upstart Villanova team can get going. When the when the ball gets tossed in the air on the court, it's going to come down to a, a number of different things, and I think it's going to be a lot of like what we've already talked about on this podcast is like, what is our rotation like? I, I hate to say it comes down to as simple as like shooting the ball, but we had one of the worst shooting performances over the last couple games from three um, that I've ever seen a Villanova team have, and. I'm not going to sit here and say that our Villanova team this year is like amazing shooting without Justin being here, but it's not that bad. And so, and so like, could we come out and have a, have a regression to the mean and be that much better on the offensive side and shoot the ball that much better? I think it's probably going to take a little bit of both. I think it's going to take new players kind of finding their way through. Um, and, and it's going to take, the ball going through the net for us a little bit more. Like, I hate to say it, but like whoever shoots the ball better, <laughs> like, but if we that's, score more points, we will win. That's yes. But that's kind of what it's going to take here is that we're going to have to get some open looks and we're going to have to hit when we get opportunities. Um, because if we're not really efficient on offense, this game can get really away from us. Yeah, I completely agree. I think something to think about is, they're going to be ready for it. And I think Mark mentioned uh, Mark Armstrong after the Temple game talked about how he hadn't been in an atmosphere like that before. Uh, big five game, first game or second game of the year. Think, things are wild at Temple's one thing. Going into Breslin on the road, a Michigan State team that's also going to be, I mean, they're down one at this point. So regardless, they're going to still want to win this game, whether or not they, whether they lose or they don't or they win today. That's going to be a whole other experience for Mark, for um, Rizzi, for Hazen, um, even for Trey, just players who, frankly, haven't been on the floor in those level of games. Trey got to the end of the final four, but it's a little bit, you know, that was, we were kind yeah. of done at that stage. And arguably the final four is probably easier to play in than on the road at the Breslin Event Center. Wow, well, that's guys, a take you don't hear often, but interesting. You got you have more fans. I, I, I hear. Yeah. I, I, I totally, I, I totally get your point. It's just like you don't hear people say that much, but yeah. well, guys, you know what? At least we aren't Louisville or Syracuse. <laughs> yeah, uh, I did. Louisville end up. I they ended up losing. Louisville lost to Appalachian State at Louisville, um, so they are officially one and two. Start the year um, with a scrimmage loss versus whatever team that they played before. And uh, Syracuse lost to Colgate. Uh, oh, so. uh, that's not anything. Colgate's a damn good team. That team slices people up. Um, but also, I don't think Syracuse is that good. So. Yeah. There are a couple big, like, not big, but there are several upsets over the weekend, too, in college basketball. Like, I do really think that this is anybody's game. It's kind of weird. TCU it, lost to Northwestern State. Yep, and Christian. and uh, the I think the Gators lost to someone too. For, uh, Florida high. lost to FIU or I think it was F it was either, or FA. Yeah, know. it was either Florida International or Florida Atlantic. You know, One of the two. Yeah, but yeah, so I just think that you know, I don't know what it is with kids these days, but you know, 
getting those early season jitters out always takes a few. I just want to comment when you said that we're nine deep, this was my reply. <laughs> it's Kentucky Michigan State game. Sorry, I'm holding on to this podcast because like I just want to know the result of this fucking game. How much time left? <laughs> it's seven point six seconds. Kentucky's oh, on the line. That's a reason. Um, that's enough time to wait, I think. I think yeah, I think oh, in can... college basketball, there's like another ten minutes is what you're telling me. What's well, called what will vamp? Until yeah, well, we're talk talk, we're talking about vamping. Uh, Brian Antoine watch. He had 16 points yesterday. Let's go. Um, They faced Bridgewater College, so a not D1 team, but still 16, five and nine shooting. I was like, how's Brian Antoine doing? Turns out pretty well. Oh, for four versus Notre Dame, but they almost won. They almost won. So you know, playing, he's he's getting more comfortable. It looks like. We need to sneaky like decent team this year. I think we'll also have a heart monitors. Watch Josh Hart at a buzzer beater the other day. Yes, um, he did, which was pretty sweet. And Jalen Brunson making a lot of money um, playing with Ryan Archie Diacono for the New York Knicks. Is... Oh, I totally forgot. I was on the floor for that game. Bing bong. <laughs> I totally forgot. Uh, <laughs> for which game? For the Knicks Nets game last okay. week. That's all we got for tonight. Uh, thank you guys uh, for listening. We'll see you. After the Michigan State game, before the PK-85, we do another episode early next week. Um, so look out for us um, so that you have something to listen to on your Thanksgiving commutes. So thank you, everybody, for listening. And as always, let's go Nova. Let's go Nova.